All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive, courtesy of your grace and your mercy toward us. We thank you for another day to gather as family at our home here that you've given us to learn your word and to fellowship together and rejoice in your truth. Most of all, Father, we thank you for sacrificing your Son, Jesus Christ, in our place so that whoever trusts in him will never perish but have eternal life. Please bless this message, Father. Have your Spirit guide us into what we need to see this evening. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, the Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 69. We're going to continue from uh, Thursday and Sunday's powerful lessons. And it's interesting how both uh, powerful they were for me, but also they were on the simplest of topics, if you think about it. Faith was one of them, and that is the simple solution that takes us everywhere in the spiritual life. Just as faith took us into salvation, it takes us into sanctification. That's what we've been seeing. It's really that pure and that simple if we choose to walk in that faith. As we know, the scriptures tell us that in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Is that true about you? It's between you and the Lord, but that's what we're meant to do. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. That's what believers do. Believers believe, don't they? Without needing to see. And God in His infinite grace may give us a glimpse of something to let us see some way that He's with us, but it certainly should not be a requirement in our souls because we believe. The other simple topic that came up was evangelism and how it's the job and calling of all of us. Could it be any simpler than to follow our Lord's calling in the Great Commission? It, it, it almost makes too much sense. You know, if, if, if over the years you've been in all these different directions and seeking your purpose and maybe overcomplicating your purpose, doesn't it make sense that the Lord would keep it that simple for us, dumb sheep? He's like, go. Here I am. Here's what I've done for you. Now go tell everybody. And that's, uh, that's the greatest thing we could hope to do before he calls us home. We saw this call upon us not only in Matthew 28 on Sunday, but also in uh, 2 Timothy 4 on the board in verse 5. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And this was written to Timothy. And consider that Timothy was understood to be a pastor. And notice he's not, he's not called to be an evangelist. He's called to go do the work of an evangelist. If he was an evangelist, he wouldn't be, you know, use that terminology. Go do the work of this guy, because that's not you, but go do the work of that guy. And this is a calling upon all of us that jives perfectly with Matthew 28. Pastor and I had a chat about this, and we recalled that the Spirit was teaching us a few years ago how we all have our own pulpits. Every single believer has their own pulpit 
It doesn't matter where you are, what your skills or gifts are, um, what condition you're in in this world right now. And I suggest that you don't dismiss the fact that you have your own pulpit because of your personality type or because you think you have a certain gift. So this isn't your gift. Don't get in that trap because we're all called to this wonderful calling of the Great Commission and we're all given our own pulpit or our own mission field. And no one else has your pulpit. Nobody else can take your pulpit because nobody else is going to live your life for you and come in touch with the people that God puts in your path. Consider the simple fact that the Great Commission is the very essence of simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Again, like Jesus saying, here's what I've done for you, now go tell everybody. That is the greatest example. That's the greatest way we could be devoted to Christ, is to spread his good news and give him all the credit along the way. And the purpose of the church is equipping us to go out, each in our own unique way. As it says in Ephesians 4, the pastors and evangelists are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So you're being equipped every time you come in these doors, and hopefully you take it with you, and you review it, and you think about it, and you dwell on it, and you pray on it. Because it's out there that the reality or your real life needs to be lived. You're being equipped here to go use the tools outside. Many of you are ready right now or have already been operating in your pulpits for years now, whether at school or work or in your neighborhoods or in your families. But some of you are neglecting your fields. We only come this way once, remember. So humbly walk in the path or the field that the Lord has placed you in. Because I can't go pick your crops. That's not what God wants me to do. He's got a field for me to pick and plant and sow. And so you have your own field that needs tending. And you want those results to be fruitful, of course, for the Lord's return. So remain in the condition you were called, accept your lot in life, accept where he has you right now, and live. Live the spiritual life and live in the gospel reality. Live each day with your calling in mind, which includes the Great Commission. Be the love-filled person he's calling you to be, and go for it. Why are we apprehensive? Lack of faith? We're going to get to that. But he's calling us to be the loved-filled person he created us to be. And go for it. Go live the life that way. He's with you. He's in you. What else can he do besides show up in front of you? We have all the promises. We have all the truth. We have his spirit. So go live in your calling. The humble person is the one who receives his power just as a reminder. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, even if you don't think it's your personality. As Pastor mentioned, churches today often spend their time separating themselves from their environments as a form of insulation. 
whether they realize they're doing it or not, I think a lot are doing it to almost hide from the world and wait for the Lord to return. While there is a necessity for gathering together in the church, the overall Great Commission demands that we take what we learn in here and go out there with it and use our tools, use the provisions, use His power. If we aren't doing that, we're missing the mark. Again, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Some of you would rather endure hardship than do the work of an evangelist, dare I say. Let me suffer in my own thing. I'll, you know, I accept it from the Lord. I'm having faith in this thing. It's hard. It's painful, etc. But that's only part of our calling. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. We've all been well taught, and we see God's plan getting simpler and simpler over the years compared to a convoluted system of doctrine that many of us were entrenched in that at times was honestly confusing and overcomplicated. But we're seeing the beauty of simplicity right now. We're seeing our job is to follow Christ and how God is not trying to make us scholars, but lovers. We're seeing how God wants us to fix our hope on Him and keep it there, and with Him as our anchor, to go out and share the fullness of the gospel. Go share it. Go tell everybody. Tell everybody my story, says Jesus. And now we must stand firm in these truths which have given us freedom. We must stand firm in these truths that we've been learning, which have given us freedom. We mustn't fall back into overcomplicating the spiritual life and therefore losing the freedom that we've just bought, that we've just purchased in a way with our investment in learning and being humble and being open to the big picture. Go to Galatians 5.1 for a very important reminder. <clears throat> if, you, if you want to keep the freedom that you've been gaining, you have to stand firm because Satan's going to try to take it away in different ways. He's going to try to deceive you back into the things that made you a slave. You have to stand firm for the freedom. You know, it's like being a free nation. You have to go to war sometimes to defend the freedom. Because otherwise, there are those evil people out there that, that will just run you over. And God says in the spiritual life, keep standing firm. Don't go back to the ways you were in because it's going to be suggested to you in many ways. Look at Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to yoke of slavery. Keep standing firm. If you don't, the implication is you're going to lose that freedom. You're going to go back to bondage. So you mean to tell me that we can simply follow God, follow Christ, 
and be set free in the process? That's, that's the plan? I believe it is. You mean we can live in faith, hope, and love and bring Him glory that way with our lives? And it's pretty much that simple? I think it is. On the board, sanctification is being who God has made you to be. To be full of faith, full of hope, full of love. That's the greatest thing we could hope our lives become. Isn't it? I mean, don't you just want to go home and be able to truly realize that you're full of faith, you're full of hope, you're full of love? Like, you're full, you're like fulfilled, okay? Back to pleuroo. If you have those things, you have peace, you have contentment, you have happiness in the middle of the devil's world. So that's who God made us to be. To be full of faith, full of hope, and full of love is the greatest thing we could hope our lives become. And it is a process, it's a journey. You can't snap your fingers or will it to happen. But you can have faith, and you can ask for more faith, as we'll get to. And if we're full of these things, then God will use us for mighty good works along the way as part of our sanctification. But the works don't come first, right? We're not to go out there and conquer the world and have that be our motivation. We're to be something that he wants us to be first. And then we can conquer the world because it's easy because we're living in Christ's power. So, why or how can we do these things if we live in the faith of a child? How can we be full of faith, full of hope, full of love if we live in the humility of a child? And that's kind of the irony, isn't it? In our minds anyway. You know, like the, the disciples, the apostles, they said to Jesus, we want to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest? How do we be the greatest? And the irony is Jesus said, go be like this little child again. And they must have been like, I don't get it. Right? Because it's, it's against our human um, comprehension or nature to think that way. But it takes faith of that child. If you think about it, a child more than any other person lives in pure faith, unashamed hope, and fearless love. Think of little Violet running around this church before and after, right? Doesn't that describe her? And she's not the only one. You know, a lot of the kids have, just have that unique, what do you call it, right? But it makes you smile, doesn't it? Because it's pure. Kids have pure faith, unashamed hope, fearless love, especially about their parents. That's what God has in mind for each of us as his children. I was watching a show called Little Big Shots. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Uh, It's about these young kids, very young kids, some of them, that have amazing talents or gifts. The most wonderful thing to watch on that show is their fearlessness. Like they are on that stage and they think they own it. They think they're meant to be there. Why wouldn't I be here? I mean, I'm good at this. Watch me. Right? What a beautiful picture of childlike faith. 
and they're throwing kisses to the crowd. Where's the apprehension? Where's the, oh no, what do I look like? Oh no, everyone's looking at me. We get that as adults, don't we? You know, the devil does the job on us growing up in this world. But that's the kind of faith that God is calling us to. Again, on the board, a child, more than any other person, lives in pure faith, unashamed hope, and fearless love. And that's what God has in mind for us. And that's why he calls us children, maybe. The kids will move and act as though the stage is their calling in life. That sound familiar? The stage is our calling in life, right? We're in a theatron, we're in a theater, the Bible says. And when you embrace your calling, when you accept your lot, you can be like, like one of those little kids saying, look at me, angels, look at me. I'm going to be an example right now for the Lord and have that unashamed hope and confidence. The faith of a child is the way of humility because it includes total and carefree reliance on the Father and His faithfulness. Total and carefree reliance on the Father. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Right? A child has no problem doing that. So, we'll come back to this, faith of a child. Go in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. We're going to review a couple of scriptures this evening from Sunday. Verse 11 says, Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. First of all, I want you to notice that those are all acts of faith. Rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. You have to receive these things by faith. Live in peace. And then the God of love and peace will be with you. On the board, Paul says, Finally, brethren, Paul's summary is magnificent. It discloses his heart and his encouragement to those who continued to struggle, just like we all do. Nobody's exempt from that. And it reminds us to rejoice together as a body in unity. For the God of love and peace is with us. And if you notice really in context in the verse, in verse 11, when, when we live by faith, which is all those things listed, the God of love and peace will be with you. What have we been learning? When you live by faith, you'll have his peace. When you don't, you won't. So we come together as a church as a reminder that we're not alone in this spiritual battle. And we rejoice and we're comforted together, just even being here with each other, because Christ has already given us the victory. We know it. We unite on that. We bond on that fact. And we gain strength while we're here. Look at verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Look at the unity between the brethren in verses 12 and 13. And look at the unity of the Lord God in verse 14. And by His grace, we are all one with Him. And then in verse 14, we have such a beautiful picture of the way of sanctification. Look again at verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. The faith of a child is all that's needed to see these things from our God. You want to see His grace? You want to see His love? and see fellowship with the Spirit, experience these things, it takes the faith of a child only to have our eyes opened. So with that in mind, I want to review a couple of scriptures that talk about the faith of a child. Let's first go to Luke chapter 18, verse 15. Luke 18, 15. Again, the faith of a child is all that's needed to see the supernatural things of God. That's what faith lets us do. Faith lets us see the unseen things. Luke 18, 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And by the way, notice the word receive again. That's faith. That's all we can do is receive. But he says again, truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Go to Matthew 18, verse 1. Matthew 18, 1. Again, the faith of a child is all that's needed to see the things of God. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. God gives grace to the humble, right? God gives grace to the humble, and a big part of that grace is faith. He gives faith if we're humble. I like how the message translation of James 4, 6 uses the words willful and willing because it points to our free will being involved as we choose between pride and humility. Again on the board, James 4, 6, part B, it's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud and God gives grace to the willing humble. And that grace includes more and more faith. 
I don't know about you, but I need to ask for more and more faith at times. Probably every other day. And, um, you know, because you find you, you catch yourself doubting or questioning certain things without even realizing you're doing it, right? Your mind starts wandering. And that's where hopefully you recognize it. Hopefully the Spirit kind of slaps you in the face a little bit. And you say, Lord, increase my faith. One of the great prayers in the Bible. Increase my faith. Because God, He can't say no to the humble. He can't. That's, that's His character. He gives grace to the humble. He's just waiting for us to be humble so we can pour out His grace. And that includes more faith. Only by faith and believing in God's promises will we enter into His peace. And we saw that direct connection made in Scripture. We saw the last couple messages about the value of true faith and how the beauty of faith is that it also gives us a transcendent peace. And we saw all those scriptures on the board right there. They're directly related. When we have faith, he gives us peace. Go to Philippians 4, 6. I want to go to one verse on this list and then one verse not on this list just to expand on this a little bit. Philippians 4, 6. <clears throat> Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Isn't that what we all want? To stop doubting, to stop questioning, to stop being unhappy. And we're unhappy because we're not resting in his promises. And there it is right there. Be anxious for nothing. In everything, pray, give thanks. Let your request be made known to God, including if you want more faith. And then the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Go to Hebrews 4, verse 1. Hebrews 4.1. We are our own worst enemies, aren't we? I mean, we're the ones that get in the way of just receiving the things of God by childlike faith. Hebrews 4.1 and 2. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. You, you can hear the word all you want, folks, but you have to reconcile it in your own soul. You have to receive it by faith. You have to believe it by faith. And if you're humble and you continue to humble yourself before him, he will release those things to you and give you that faith. So it's our choice to either be humble and live by faith or to be arrogant and doubt. And, you know, actually, this did not hit me till recently. 
that when I have my doubts, how arrogant I'm actually being. You know, instead of almost, <clears throat> excuse me, feeling bad for yourself in a way, you'll be like, how come I can't, you know, get past this thing? Instead of thinking about yourself, which really is pro- the problem, we should be realizing how arrogant we are to not believe God. And that's what takes people to the lake of fire. So ask yourself this question. Excuse me. When we doubt, why are we doubting? Just think about that for a minute. When we doubt, why are we doubting? I believe it's because we just begin rationalizing for the most part. We enter into foolish speculations and we let our mind run with it. Sound about right? We entertain a certain thought that we heard from somebody or we saw on TV and we start to entertain it and it starts to run and play games in our head. And then all of a sudden we're, we're somewhere else. Right? So, first of all, that, that's us getting in the way. Right? Us getting in the way of faith. When we doubt, we must conclude that we're being arrogant at that moment. Okay? And I guess we might call it a form of covert arrogance. I haven't read the book yet. But it's not the beat your chest kind of arrogance. It's the oh shucks kind of arrogance, really. I'm doubting right now and I feel bad for myself and I don't know why. Well, you're being arrogant. You're disbelieving God in his word. Who are we to do that? But our arrogance creeps right in there. We think we know better in a certain area of our life. We get puffed up. We want to go back to the way things were in a certain area of our life. When we force things, but it wasn't that bad. Then you remember how bad it really was, etc. But let's at least admit that when we're doubting, we're being arrogant. Okay? Don't disguise it. And don't condemn yourself either. Just call it what it is. Realize you're not being as humble as you think you are. And that could go for every person listening right now, self-included. So again, it's our choice to either be humble and live by faith or to be arrogant and doubt. Isaiah 26.3, I really enjoyed this past week. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Why? Because he has faith. He's trusting you. But notice again, the steadfast of mind, the one who clings to that faith and stands firm in the faith. What did Galatians 5.1 say? Keep standing firm. That's the one that he's able to keep in perfect peace because that's the one who's humble and not arrogant and doubting. So the steadfast of mind are the ones that can receive that promise, that God can act on behalf of, because they stand firm in the faith. And then watch God go to work, if you just do that thing. Faith is the issue when it comes to being filled with peace. We receive His blessings, such as peace, by faith. Don't we receive all of his blessings by faith? Right? If you're going to experience any of his blessings, even after salvation, the only way is by believing it, by buying in 
with the faith of a child and saying, okay, Dad, I know you got this. This is easy for you. And it's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. We all have our areas that we don't pass the test very easily. But that's the truth of the matter. We receive his blessings such as peace by faith. And once again, consider Paul's closing words when he talks about being in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, and the Amplified Version. Finally, believers, rejoice. Be made complete. Be what you should be. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. Enjoy the spiritual well-being experienced by believers who walk closely with God. And the God of love and peace, the source of loving kindness, will be with you. As we learned this past week, being and living are very similar. Being and living are very similar. And therefore, living the spiritual life is really being the new creature that God has made us to be. Being that person that God has made you to be. Being filled with the Spirit. Being full of faith, full of hope, full of love. That's sanctification. That's God's objective in us. And then he can use us fully and we have peace guarding our hearts and souls. Again on the board, uh, this should be 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. How happy would you be if you could just be those things right now? And you can, by faith. Practically speaking, God is glorified when we possess peace as a result of things not seen. God is glorified when we possess peace by having faith in the things not seen. That's what brings Him the most glory. So dare I say that God loves it when we have blind faith. And that used to bother me when unbelievers would accuse me, some unbelievers, some some people, would accuse me of having blind faith. And I'd get all defensive. I'd be like, no, wait, no, there's evidence in the Bible. There's prophecy, blah, 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 right? But really, shouldn't that be a badge of honor? If you can say you, you, you you can live by trusting in God and you don't need to see, right? Our flesh wants to fight back. But really, it's a compliment. It's by the grace and power of the Spirit that we have faith in God that we can't see. It's all Him. You know, I'm sure you've all asked yourself, as I've asked myself over the years, why me? Like, why does He let me see? Why does He let me believe? Why did He give me the power to believe? Right? And someone else can't see it. But He'll give that to anybody who finally humbles themselves before him. And we need to let people know that they can see as well. You can enjoy this blind faith, if you want to call it that. You can enjoy this as well. Because we have a peace that goes beyond comprehension that you're never going to have. In fact, you don't even know where you're going. What's your hope? What's your love? Go to Hebrews 11, verse 1. 
So again, it's by the grace and power of the Spirit that we have faith in God whom we cannot see. And we need to let people know that they can see as well if they just humble themselves before Him. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I love this translation in the New American personally because it just is really uh, descriptive. And uh, I think it's the NIV that says faith is a substance, which I also enjoy. But Pastor brought up this past week, and I'm paraphrasing this on the board. Faith is not only comfortable with the unknown, but is abiding at home with the unknown. That's a neat thought. Think about faith as a person. Faith is at home with the unknown. Faith is relaxing on the couch, not caring who looks at them or whatever, how they look or whatever. That's faith with the unknown. That's how comfortable it is with the unknown. And we can have that. And that's what sets us free. Faith is totally relaxed while not knowing. That's where faith loves to be in the presence of the unknown things of God even. Dwelling in the realm of the unknown. Embracing the mysteries of God. Yeah, I don't know that, but I love it because I know God's got it all. Yeah, I don't understand the Trinity fully, but I love it. I mean, who else can be three in one, right? And it's that faith of a child accepting these wonderful things And that's where faith can thrive, in the realm of the unseen. So again, the only way we're ever going to find peace in this crazy world is by grace through faith. The only way we receive that faith is by being humble. The connection is pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear and pretty simple. So let me be honest and state a few facts that we might be in denial of, or you might not even thought of it. Are you lacking peace? Then you're lacking faith. Are you lacking faith? Well, then you're actually lacking humility, which means you're being arrogant and not being humble. Again, the connection is there in the Scripture. If you're lacking faith, or if you're lacking peace, you're lacking faith. If you're lacking faith, then you're not being humble. You're actually being arrogant, saying, I don't believe. Or why should I believe? Or whatever the heck rationalization you've got going on. You're being arrogant. You're turning to speculations, as Romans 1 talks about, I think. You're turning to that even as a believer. And I'm guilty as well. That's why I'm talking about this so easily. Telling you what's going on in this sick head once in a while. Seriously. If you're lacking faith and doubting, then you're lacking humility and you're being arrogant at that time. And we all, we all fall there sometimes. But at least recognize it and call it what it is and then turn to God in humility and say, give me faith. And he, he'll do that because he's faithful. <clears throat> Maybe this is the reason for God's timing on Pastor's new book on covert arrogance. Without humility, 
man will, in arrogance, attempt to create his own peace and even his own faith or fake it even. And man often does this by cordoning himself off from the rest of the world, trying to insulate himself from the truth about his faith. I mean, I even know believers. I can think of believers that have left church or are doing their own thing and are kind of hiding out because they don't want to face the fact that their faith is weak or they don't want to face the fact that they're turning to the world for things, which means their faith is weak. They're not trusting God. So people go into denial mode, right? So we're talking about faith issues, and the worst thing we can do on the board is fall into isolationism. We don't combat a lack of peace or a lack of faith with more isolationism. I mean, it's the worst thing you could do. It's a false human solution. That's not God's plan for our freedom. Think about it. Even the way the Bible talks about us gathering together, that's part of God's plan for our freedom. And to not be left alone on an island and try to be a hero with God. God wants us to come together. God's plan is opposite human plans, right? We think I can do it myself, and we, we make our willpower the, the issue instead of faith, where God says, no, 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 no. Get on your knees, admit you can't do it. Come to me in humility. I'll give you faith. Gather together. Learn the word. Realize you need this every day, or you're going to be a waste. You're going to fall apart eventually. So the Lord prayed for us about this in John 17. Go, go to John 17, 13, please. God wants us to have freedom and peace in the midst of this world and its people. And we can because we have his power in us. We can. We don't think we can. <laughs> but you're right that you can't do it in your own power. I mean, I just talked to a friend this week that is finally overcoming some struggles at work with letting people bother him, getting stressed out about things that he doesn't have to get stressed out about if he chooses to operate in God's power. He wants us to have freedom and peace in the middle of the devil's world, in the middle of the attacks. John seventeen thirteen, the Lord's praying to the Father. He says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. There it is again. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So as we talked about on Sunday, the Lord sends us out into the devil's world. He doesn't say go hide on a mountaintop together until I come back. He says go out there. 
Get dirty, if you will. Get in the middle of it and realize you have my power. Realize you have my peace if you're believing. He prays to our Father in heaven to keep us from the evil one at the same time. So we can be in the devil's world and protected from the devil too. And Jesus also says on the board in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace I give to you. In other words, don't worry. I'm with you. Don't worry. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful. You're buying a lie if you do that. I'm with you. That very fact should give us peace in our souls. As Pastor mentioned on Sunday, we must reconcile Scripture in our own souls. Certain Scripture, and even sometimes two different principles that can coexist in our lives, even if they might seem contradictory. We have to ask God, how do these reconcile? We have to dwell on these things personally, individually. So we talked about finding peace through faith. And the same man who sends us out into the world in John 17, 18, is the same one who gives us peace in John 14, 27. And since God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, we must reconcile these two facts. Our freedom depends on it. I mean, our first human reaction is, I don't want to go out in the devil's world. You know, are they going to do to me what they did do to you, Lord, did to you? That's our human reaction, our gut reaction maybe. But then if he promises to give us supernatural peace in the middle of attacks, then you're going to be at peace anyway, right? I mean, we all want to be at peace. We all want to be content. We all want to be confident, whatever. So he's saying, listen, I can make, it, make you be that there, not just on the mountaintop. I can, I can give you that same experience in the middle of attacks. Will you trust me? Will you let me do something awesome in you, supernatural, that, that brings me glory in the invisible realm? He promises you his peace. So our freedom does depend on reconciling these kind of things, that we are to go out in the devil's world and at the same time have his peace, possess his peace. I thought of David, who had peace with God while under the worst attacks of man. I mean, he, he was, he was, they were trying to kill him for years. And he was outnumbered for years. And yet David had peace because of his faith in God. And that shows us God will give peace to the man that's humble enough to trust him. Go to Psalm 23. God will give peace to the man that's humble enough to trust him. But only to that man. If you're not humble enough to have faith and believe, he can't give you his peace. He won't. He won't violate your free will. You're willfully proud, not willfully humble. Psalm 23, 
David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here it is. Here's our point. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that our topic? Having peace in the devil's world? On the board, the Lord sends us out into the devil's world, but says, I'm going to give you my peace, so don't worry about it. Seems like a contradiction. But David had it. He said, Lord, you prepare a table for me. What is a table? A table is a place of rest. What do you do when you have a table prepared for you? There's food on it. You sit down. You enjoy. You, you relax. So David did that in the presence of his enemies. I mean, if you want to picture him sitting down at this table having this awesome feast with like five other guys and picture a hundred soldiers around him, and the Holy Spirit or the angels are just holding him back. I don't know. But that's what happens in our souls by faith. He gives us that kind of peace at that round table. And we could have everything going wrong in our lives. Physical problems, money problems, personal attacks. It doesn't matter. And we can have that kind of peace at his table. That's what he's provided for us. That's what he's promised those who believe. So David had that kind of peace because of his humility. He trusted God for everything, as you can see in this psalm. So the simple point on the board is this. When we believe him, we have his peace. When we believe him. Believe is an active thing. You know? I think think sometimes when we say the words have faith, it's a different connotation in our minds than believe. Just believe. Right? It's a decision to be made. So if you're lacking faith right now, ask God for more. He will give it to the person that asks Him in humility. The one that bows down before Him. He's faithful. He has to. He gives grace to the humble. He has to, and He loves it. But we have to bow down. Go back to John 17, verse 18. So again, if you're lacking faith right now, just ask Him for more. Bow down in your soul and ask Him for more. John 17, 18. As you, Father, sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So on the board, sanctification becomes us. Romans 1.17, the righteous man shall live by faith. Surrender and gratitude become our sanctification. Which again, those are faith issues, aren't they? Surrender and gratitude means you have to believe what God says. Those things become our sanctification. 
It's realizing that He's changed us and living in that reality. So we're talking about faith's perspective. We aren't stressing out about how to become sanctified. We simply rest assured that He already has sanctified us. There's quite a difference there. Don't be thinking about how or what you've got to do. We simply rest assured that He's already sanctified us. And that actual resting is sanctifying in the experiential realm. That's the key issue with faith. Faith and sanctification are so intrinsically bound, we might loosely think of them as almost the same. Reckoning the truth each day in our own souls between us and God. It's personal. You have to reckon the things that you've learned to be true and believe them. And it is that process that makes us more and more sanctified for God. The Bible says we're sanctified by faith. Therefore, faith is what sets us apart for Him. Faith does its job, so to speak. On the board, when we believe the things that God says He has done in us, that's when we experience sanctification. The act of believing takes us into the realm of being set apart for Him, even as we traverse the devil's world. Go to Acts 26, verse 18, as we get ready to close. Again, on the board, when we believe the things that God says He has done in us, that's when we experience sanctification in our lives. The act of believing takes us into the realm of being set apart for Him, even as we go about in the devil's world. Acts 26.18 To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. There it is again. Sanctified by faith. On the board, that includes salvation and experiential sanctification. Sanctified by faith reveals the nature of our sanctification. At salvation, it's by grace through faith which sets the pattern up for the rest of our lives. They're a continuation. Sanctification is by grace through faith. It's from faith in our position, faith for salvation, to faith experientially. The same way we're saved is the same way we're sanctified. It's a beautiful thing. It's a simple thing that even a child can do. Just have faith. So, this brings us full circle on the board. Why are we still here? We saw this on Sunday. What do we do now as a sanctified believer? Well, that might not be the best question. If they, the believer, are being and living righteously by faith, then the doing just follows. You see, you're in the right power system. 
what might the fruit be of being full of love, being full of grace and truth, being full of hope? Well, the fruit might be Matthew 28, that we live in the Great Commission, that we obey it. Go to Matthew 28, 18. This reminds us of the church's calling, which is to go out into the devil's world with the fullness of the gospel in hand. Hear ye, hear ye. I have something to read to you. Gather around. Think of the colonial days. Guys like Paul Revere riding around, right? They stop on their horse. They gather the people in the town. I got something to read to you. That's really the picture of us going out. I mean, it doesn't get any simpler, more, more pure, and more beautiful than that. And that's what brings God the most glory. Obey. Obey the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Now, check this out. The guy, the, <laughs> the guy you know what I mean. Jesus, who is the Lord, says, I have all authority given to me now, even as a man. So as the one in authority... Here's what I'm saying to you in verse 19. Go. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's our commander-in-chief of the universe who cites his authority and then tells us what to do reminds us who he is, and then tells us what to do. Go. So, what greater conclusion could we come to then that this is our purpose? To fulfill the Great Commission. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to share the hope that is in us, and even make disciples. Pretty cool thing. The only question is, Who's in your mission field? It might include friends, acquaintances, your children, even your grandchildren, co-workers, next-door neighbors, dog walkers, male people, a friend, quote-unquote, at the gym. Do I need to go on? It could be every person you come in contact with every day, possibly. There's a reason behind every encounter. Hopefully you get the point. You have your own unique mission field if you are willing. If you're open. And you might be like, I can't talk to people. Don't worry about it. Are you willing? If you're willing, tell God and say, you've got to do this. I'm willing. Use me. And you'll be amazed what happens. You'll be amazed what he puts in your mouth. You'll be amazed he might not even want you to say anything. He might just want you to be there to love somebody who's depressed. I don't know how he's going to use you. Are you willing is the question. Because you have a mission field that I can't touch. And I'm not supposed to. Ask yourself this question as we close. Who is your project right now? Who is your project right now? Is your project sitting at home? as much as you can, and um, 
hiding out a little bit? Is that your project? If you think about it, we all should have a person or two or more that we are working on, for lack of a better phrase, that we can see God putting us with that person and we can see the writing on the wall that he wants us to maybe nurture them, mentor them, encourage them, love them, and maybe, maybe give the gospel, whether it's by deeds or by words. Remember all the teachings we had on relationships recently. So the wonderful freeing point that I want to close with is that we all have a mission from the Lord. And there's nothing better than knowing that, is there? Nothing gives a human being a greater sense of peace and purpose and freedom than knowing that he has a mission. Even unbelievers, they crave to have a mission for their life. Why am I, what, what am I going to do? I, I need a mission. And that's what people start running around looking, creating all their own missions before they turn to the Lord. But think about it, everybody. We found it. We found our purpose. We found our mission. How exciting, right? Hallelujah. We have an eternal purpose, and we know it. We're not in, in the dark. And Jesus says, here I am. I've showed you who I am. I've done it all for you. Now go tell everybody about it. Go tell the story. And how you do that and who you do that with is between you and the Lord. But don't, you know, underestimate the fact that you have your own mission field that he's called you to. So we are here on the board after salvation to spread the gospel. Pretty simple. In one way, shape, or form, that's our purpose. And this places special emphasis on getting the gospel right and complete, which is why this series is so long and hopefully so wonderful. So with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for revealing your purpose and your mission for each of us. And we ask that you help us be humble, whatever it takes. Humble us before you. Show us our arrogance and pride. Help us have more faith, Father, so that we can be used by you for mighty things that even we thought couldn't be done in us. We know you can do these things. You've done them with many, a weak person. And we look forward to seeing your power operate in our lives, Father, by faith. We receive and we believe all these things that you've taught us tonight. We ask your blessing to be with each of us as we go. Help us to be open and willing to sharing these things in this lost and dying world. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen.